Holy God, fountain of all knowledge, illumine our hearts and minds this day and every day. Amen. Mm. There had been a strange stench near the front door of my house these past couple of weeks, and it would occur whenever we would have a big rain, like we just had. And the smell was so bad, I'd order everyone to check the bottom of their shoes before entering the house. But that's as close as I ever got to resolving the stink. But not my spouse. He needed to know what was causing the stink needed to fix it, and one day he announces, aha, Eureka, he knows where the stink is coming from. Our gutter's on the roof. We haven't cleaned out the gutter grates and there must be rotting leaves up there. Easy solution, clean out the gutters, stench is gone. Easier still, because my husband is the kind of person who is always looking for a reason to climb up something, jump off something, kick flip body off of something, so climbing up on the roof to clean gutters is directly in his wheelhouse. But that trip to the roof forced my husband to realize something. His wheelhouse now looks different than it used to. He used to skateboard on roofs when he was a teenager, and now this father of two young boys came back from cleaning our gutters, marveling at his own cautiousness. So amazed he was to realize what most people have long dealt with, a sense of mortality. People like my husband are great, always down for an adventure, Always, Jesus' instructions this morning to take no purse, no bag, no sandals, doesn't faze them. This is exciting to them. More challenges? Yes, let's go. I, on the other hand, have serious problems with Jesus' instructions to trust my safekeeping to the elements and to the kindness of others. Nope, I don't want to. Sorry, Jesus. I like my sense of purpose and mission to be well supplied with all the essentials. Every pocket full of snacks and extra heavy bags slowing me down, just to be safe. So would I be able to be one of the 70 Jesus sent out? Based on the data, I'm saying no. But friends, I learned something. I already think I am one of the 70, and what's more, regardless of your sense of adventure, I think you've been called to be one of the 72. But to get to how this is a very likely possibility, we need to take a tiny detour. It's always amazing to me when I discover that a simple, seemingly insignificant detail is actually a big deal, like actually a wildly important detail that would have spoken to volumes to many of the early Christians, but is totally lost to us modern-day Christians. In today's gospel, we don't even get past the first verse without this happening to us. Remember how many people Jesus sent out? Seventy. And how I said that there's a distinct possibility that we're somehow imagined to be part of that? Well, did you know that in the biblical tradition, 70 is an important number? How many of you, show of hands, knew 70 is an important number? Yes, me neither. I had no idea. 
idea that 70 is a wildly important number. And I missed the memo. Had no clue that 70 is tied directly to some of the most foundational stories of the faith found in the Hebrew Testament. How foundational? We're talking Noah and Moses level foundational, like real. So remember that time Moses was in the wilderness and the demands of leadership were like leaving him overwhelmed and grumpy? And remember that God gave him some incredible advice about stop trying to do everything and find some help. Moses, listening to God, immediately appointed 70 elders to help him lead the Israelites. But before that, in Genesis chapter 10, we learn the names of all the nations that descended from Noah's sons, 70 in total. These 70 nations were all the nations in the then known world. 70. The New Interpreter's Commentary ties up the relevant significance that we're encountered with in a nice, tidy bow. They write, The most likely interpretation, however, is that this number is related to the biblical number of nations, so that this commissioning in this text in Luke foreshadows the mission of the church to the nations. And since we're all participants in the mission of the church, all of us empowered by God to share the good news of God's love and grace, we find ourselves symbolically amongst the 70 sent by Jesus in this morning's gospel reading. This isn't just a story of a time that passed, this is a story of the future. So what do we make of Jesus' instructions to the 70? And by extension, what do we make of his instructions to us? Well, this morning we're just going to go through a few verses and see what we see. The first instruction is that there are to be no lone wolves. None. Anything worth doing and worth doing well needs to be done in partnership with at least one other person. This simple instruction flies smack in the face of Western individualism. Jesus intends for us to work together in life and ministry. These days, as we all find ourselves at various stages in this great reemergence, this advice sounds exciting and scary. The thing we need is togetherness. The thing we've been starved for is togetherness. And yet, now that we find that after all this time apart, togetherness is really scary and really hard. But it's worth pursuing, putting ourselves out there, prioritizing relationships and seeking ways to build community. It's the basis of everything. It's no small thing. And it's at the heart and base of what it means to be the church. And if we can agree on anything, we can agree that the world needs to be this kind of community, a community of togetherness. The world has always needed it, and the world will always need this. I've been in lots of conversations these days where people are lamenting the state of the world. And to be clear, I am often the one lamenting the state of the world. But scripture reminds me time and again that there is nothing new under the sun. 
The world has always been a scary place. We long for safety and work for it precisely because safety isn't guaranteed. In this morning's commissioning, Jesus doesn't make any false promises. <laughs> He's a really honest prophet. He's a really honest God, unlike lots of leaders the world encounters today. There's no promises of like, oh, if you follow me, I'll keep you safe. No, follow me and you'll avoid all the dangers of the world. No. Jesus is saying just the opposite. Jesus always tells the truth. The world is full of wolves. But instead of instructing his followers to be wolves, you know, wolves in a <laughs> wolves that eat wolves kind of world, Jesus still sends them out as lambs. This seems reckless until we remember that, that these lambs have a shepherd, a great shepherd, who neither slumbers nor sleeps. A great shepherd who will pursue a lost sheep to the ends of the world. Jesus is sending out as those kind of lambs. And the last of Jesus' instructions that I'd like for us to sit with today is the one that has been nagging at me all week long. Jesus says that if people welcome you, spend time with you, share meals with you, accept their hospitality. Do not abuse it. That's what the note about not moving from house to house is getting at. I learned in one of the commentaries that some of the missionaries would like vie for better lodging the longer that they stayed in a town. And so this like little side note is actually like, no, you stay where you stay put. Don't abuse it. I think that's cute. So after all of this, after you get to bed and someone keeps you safe, you tell them the great big news. The kingdom of God has come near to you. This makes sense to me. No qualms there. But here's the rub. And what's just been bugging me a little bit is that Jesus' advice for when people reject you or don't welcome you is to shake the dust off your feet and leave. But before you leave, the message to tell them is that same big awesome news. The kingdom of God has come near to you. What? For Jesus, regardless of the person, of their perceived worthiness, the judgment is the same. The kingdom of God has come near to you. In a world of so much division, so much hurt and anger, I'm astounded by this example, by this witness. Jesus pronounces the same message to all. We're also ready to pronounce judgments and to be so sure of our judgments. Yet Jesus saying the same thing to the good and the bad alike turns our comfort into sorting people into disarray. Frankly, this infuriates me and inspires me at the exact same time. What is Jesus up to? Jesus, don't you know there's a good message for the good people and a bad message for the bad people? Doesn't work out that way. And I don't understand why. But I'm not God. And thank goodness for that. Amen, friends. 